If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it, turn it on, and head for Psalm 124. Psalm 124, we'll be base camping it out of that passage this morning. We're back in our Ascent series. Uh, if you're new, if you missed the last few weeks since we've been in this series, the Psalms of Ascent are really a, a small group of 15 psalms within the greater book of psalms, right? So 15 psalms, and Bible scholars believe that these were actually songs that were sung by God's people in ancient times as they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for the great worship festival. So they'd go spring, summer, and fall. And these, this was kind of like their hymn book. This is what they would sing along the way to prepare their hearts to encounter God uh, in Jerusalem. So these are pilgrim songs or songs for the journey. I think this is extremely relevant for us, even as modern day followers of Jesus living in Asheville in 2023, because listen, guys, we too are pilgrims, aren't we? We're pilgrims on this journey called life. And here's what I know to be true as a fellow pilgrim on the same journey called life. We all, we all, without a doubt, face danger in various shapes, sizes, forms along the way on this journey called life. In fact, if I were, if I were just taking a, a guess, kind of taking a stab in the dark, I would say that probably even for many of you, this very week, you have faced great danger. For some of you, maybe physical danger. For others of you, perhaps spiritual danger. Others of you, maybe financial or health-related, relational dangers. Man, everywhere we look in this busted-up world of ours, there are dangers lurking, lurking around every single corner. It seems like every day we wake up, there, there are new dangers that we encounter, almost at an alarming rate, especially if you turn on the news, right? Which maybe you should just not turn on the news, right? There's always something that's just trying to grab our attention and drive us into a place of fear and alarm. We get past one thing, one danger, it seems like there's something else on the other side waiting for us. All of us face that. And I was just thinking about this this week. I remembered back years ago now, uh, my wife Cheryl and I moved in uh, 2006 overseas to the largest Muslim country in the world. We're going to serve as missionaries over there for a couple of years. And uh, there's actually a law over there that, that Christians can't share their faith with Muslims. Okay, so Muslims can share their faith with Christians, but not the other way around. Um, I was still uh, in, in seminary, and so I had to take a lot of my coursework and my books with me overseas. So I had all these textbooks about how to share your faith with Muslims and, and all these evangelism workbooks. And then our, our missionary team over there asked me to bring all these like evangelism tracts and all these things. And so, man, I'm, I'm just, I, I wish I could say to you as I got off that plane and we started walking through security and I saw those armed soldiers with AK-47s, I wish I could tell you that I had complete peace and trust in God and I was not worried at all. But as we got closer and closer to our time to go through the scanner and they would pull people aside and open up their luggage and go through it, man, my, I'm just being honest with you, my heart started racing, right? I started getting dizzy. I could just picture them, like, and I hit all those books the best I could. I, I rolled them up and put them in pant legs and all kinds of things. But I could just picture them opening that up and finding all those books, pulling me into that little room in the corner and all you hear is shrieks and screams, right? As they hook up the electrodes to my earlobes. And I mean, I, I don't know, but I was... I was panicking, right? My heart was beating out of my chest. God, please deliver me from this danger. What have I gotten myself into? And praise God, we went through that security line. There were no issues. They didn't pull me aside. They didn't put any electrodes on my toes. It was, it was all good. And so I got to the end of that line. I was like, praise God, right? I was worshiping him. Thank you for that deliverance. 
Now, that may not be your exact experience, but we've all had those experiences where we faced danger and we needed deliverance and God came through for us. We've all experienced that. Now, King David, who wrote this particular Psalm 124, if you know anything about a story, he was no stranger to danger, was he? I mean, for David, in many ways, his life was, was nothing but a string of encountering one danger after another danger after another danger, from facing Goliath as a, as a young boy to being hunted by King Saul as a young man to leading the armies of Israel against massive invading forces again and again and again, constant threat of death, destruction, and annihilation. That was David's life. Like you name the kind of danger, and David experienced it in some form at some point in his life. Now, we know that of the 15 songs of ascent, King David authored four of them. He penned four of them. One of the four that he wrote is the psalm that we'll be in today. So that's pretty, pretty cool, Psalm 124. And so what I want to do is I want to read it in its entirety. It's, it's not long. It's only eight verses. And then I want to slowly go back through it, kind of break it down, Let's feast on a few truths that are found there, and then we're going to finish by celebrating the one who ultimately delivered us as we come to the tables and we partake of the bread and the juice and we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus and his deliverance of our souls. But before we get to it, would you pause with me and pray? Let's ask for God's help as we step into his word this morning. God, we come to you. Father, some of us uh, come here with light hearts, with uh, happiness in our minds and thoughts. Others of us come here and it's been a, a heavier week. It's been a, even a heavier weekend, God. And the reality is I think we all would have to confess that, that life is fraught with danger, with stress, with challenge, with problems. And it seems like as soon as we get past one, there's another that's waiting on us, God. And so I pray that you would teach us through your word this morning. You instruct our hearts and our spirits and teach us that you are our source of deliverance, that nothing else can save us, nothing else can get us through this life all the way home to you, except for you, your presence in our lives. So Father, would you remind us of these ancient truths? Would you bring these to life in our minds and our hearts this morning through the power of your spirit, by your word? Would you transform us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus, for uh, your glory this morning? We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, if you don't have a Bible, this will be on the screens for you, Psalm 124. We're just going to read it through. This is uh, King David writing these, these words. He writes this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Verse six, but blessed be the name of the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now this is quite a picture of danger that David gives us here, right? He paints several word pictures for us here to kind of bring these dangers to life for us. A devouring beast in verse 3, a consuming flood in verse 4, a hunter's trap in verse 7. Now, we don't know because David doesn't tell us what he's remembering back, what events he's remembering back in his life and reflecting on as he pins Psalm 124. But many scholars, and I think they're right, 
agree that David is probably thinking back to the events of 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now, I realize for most of you, you probably were up at 4 o'clock this morning studying the scriptures, preparing your heart to come to worship. You probably read 2 Samuel chapter 5 this morning in your personal quiet time. But for those of you, the few of you who didn't, let me just kind of refresh your mind on the events of 2 Samuel chapter 5. King David has now been coronated. So he's a young king. And the Philistines, these godless bloodthirsty people who worship demonic idols and gods they feel threatened by the new king right across the border and so they they raise up their violent bloodthirsty army and they come across the border with the intent to kill to knock off the brand new king of israel king david now how's that for the start of being chosen by god to lead a nation right congrats kid you're now king now fight for your life and everybody that you know or you're going to be annihilated no pressure Now, we don't have time to read all of 2 Samuel chapter 5, but I'm going to tell you what happens. David gets tipped off that the Philistines are on the way, so he escapes down to a stronghold in Israel to kind of regroup, figure out what to do, and he goes to God as a brand new king, this young guy, he's never done this before, he's never led an army into battle, he certainly never fought an army like the Philistines, and he goes, God, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't know, I don't know what to do, I'm inexperienced, I've never been in this situation, like, do you want me to retreat and try to save as many lives as I can? Do you want me to engage this ferocious? I feel like I have no chance, but if you want me to engage them on the battlefield, I will. God, what do you want me? What do you want me to do? And I'm guessing that some of you here this morning, online this morning, you're asking those very kind of questions in your lives right now as you face various kinds of dangers. Now, for you, maybe it's not an army of the Philistines. Maybe it's something else. But you're asking the very same essence of questions. God, my, my marriage is falling apart. God, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how hard I try and how hard I try to fix things. My marriage seems like it's falling apart. It's getting worse, not better. What do I do, God? My, my business is sinking. I'm doing everything I know to do, and yet it seems like we're losing money. We're losing traction. My kid grew grew up and they hate my guts. My parents have abandoned me. God, I don't know what to do. God, give me wisdom. What should we do? Now, if that's where you're at and those are the questions that you're asking, let me just encourage you, man. That's the right place to go when you're facing danger in this life. Believer, go to God. Run to God. Don't try to out-scheme your problems. Don't try to rely on your intellectual ability to kind of problem-solve. Go to God, Christian. When facing danger, turn to the one who laughs at danger. Because what seems impossible to us is a walk in the park for God. And King David does this, right? He doesn't try to figure it out on his own. He he goes to God. He says, God, what do you want me to do? God gives him an answer, right? He answers our prayer. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That as the people of God, as the sons and daughters of God, when we cry out, we should expect that God will answer us. And God says to David, David, go with confidence. I want you to meet the Philistines on the battlefield because I am going to give them into your hands. That's interesting. He doesn't say, David, because you're so awesome. (laughs) David, because you're such a great military leader, you should go with confidence. He says, because I am with you. What you cannot do, what you are not enough on your own to accomplish, I am going to do through you. I'm gonna give them into your hands. And so David, by faith, he He obeys, he engages the invaders on the battlefield, and just like God promised, they just mop the floor with the Philistines. 
Second Samuel uh, 5 tells us that, that they kind of retreat, they regroup, the Philistines do. They come back for another attack on David. David does the same thing. He doesn't just rush into battle and say, well, we got him the first time, I'm sure we'll get him the second. No, he retreats and he says, God, what do, we, what do I do now? <laughs> like, like, like you gave this, them into our hands, we defeated them, but they're back. And isn't that like our lives? A lot of times we think we get past the problem and we're, we're really celebrating it, and we're excited, and the next thing we know, that problem's staring right back at us, isn't it? And David goes back to God again as his source of wisdom and strength and says, God, what, what do I do? They're back. And God gives David the green light to go whoop some Philistine tail again, and he just, they mop the floor with him again. And I want you to listen to the words of David after they've defeated the Philistines through the power of God two times. Now, this is what David says in 2 Samuel 5. He says, the Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. The same, by the way, the same water imagery that he's using now in Psalm 124, our passage this morning, as he recalls God's deliverance in his past and seasons of danger. And this leads us to the question of the day, I think. What should we do as modern day people of God, as followers of Jesus, what should we do when we face the dangers of this fallen world? And I think what David does here is he's going he's gonna to point us to a three-step process for facing danger as the people of God. So a three-step process for facing danger in our lives as the people of God. Now, I have to tell you, I'm indebted to one of my preaching mentors uh, and professors, Dr. Tony Morita. He's a seminary professor. He's also a pastor in, in the Raleigh area. He also wrote a commentary that I would commend to you on the book of Psalms for helping me understand the structure and the movement of, of this particular psalm. But in any case, there's, there's a three-step process that he gives us in a nutshell. And King David is telling us, when we face danger, do these three things. So I'm gonna give you three words. This is the outline of the entire message. If you can remember these three words, you've got the whole thing. Here it is. Remember, praise, and apply. That's it. Remember, praise, and apply. Remember, praise, and apply. Now let's go back through it, starting in verse one. David writes this, if it had not been the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say. So this is a picture of like a, like a worship leader in a congregation, right? Like David singing, and sometimes our worship leaders do that too here, right? We're singing a song and they say, y'all sing it louder now, right? This is kind of what David is doing here. He's saying, if it had not been for the Lord, all right, y'all sing it with me now. If it had not been for the Lord who is on our side, when people rose up against us, and David's just like, y'all, listen, if God wasn't on our side, we would be toast. But he is on our side, and we're not toast. It's kind of like if you're like, uh, I grew up in the 80s and, and 90s, some of y'all did too. In the early 80s, the mid-80s, uh, if you're a sports fan, you know this, the Chicago Bulls were terrible, all right? They were like one of the worst franchises in the NBA until a guy by the name of Michael Jordan, there's a picture of him right there dunking on somebody's face, right? The goat, all right? You come at me with some LeBron stuff, get ready to get slapped, right? This is the, there's one goat and you're looking at him right there. MJ, the goat, right? So he shows up, completely transforms the Chicago Bulls. They go from a laughing stock in the NBA to arguably the most dominant dynasty in NBA history, Right? A bunch of scrubs, a bunch of losers. You had MJ. Now they're unstoppable. They're winning the championship almost every single year. Now, I want you to multiply that same principle times a bazillion. And that's what David is saying it's like for us when God shows up on our team. That's what he's saying. When God shows up on our side, man, we were a bunch of losers. 
We were a bunch of scrubs. We couldn't play our way out of a wet paper bag. And then with God, all of a sudden, unbeatable, untouchable, conquerors. I want you to listen to the words of David as he remembers back to facing this unimaginable time of danger in his life. Remember, he just said, if God wasn't on our side, so kind of notice this if-then approach in his writing here. If God wasn't on our side, look at verse 3. Then we would have been swallowed up alive. This is the idea of a, of a beast kind of feasting on prey, maybe a lion with a little baby lamb, just kind of hopeless in the, in the clutch of that lion. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood water would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now what's David doing here? He's remembering back to his past where he could point to a season of God delivering him in his life. And that's the first step in the process that David is giving us. As people of God, as we face danger in our life, what's the first step? Number one is remember. Remember, now, now what, what does that mean practically? Here's what it means. This is important. I'm gonna put this, this sentence on the screen for you. Note taker, write it down. Here it is. Strength for the present. Strength for the present is oftentimes found by remembering God's work and deliverance in the past. Now, let me say that again. Strength for the present is oftentimes found by remembering God's work and deliverance in the past. And listen, y'all, I want y'all to know that God has already delivered us from our greatest problem, hasn't he? From the sin that separated us from a perfect and holy God, right? Jesus, through his perfect life, his brutal death on the cross for your sin and my sin, his glorious resurrection, he has already solved our greatest problem of being separated from an infinitely perfect and holy God. And he doesn't stop there. He continues to deliver us in big and small ways through the course of our entire lives. Listen, how many of you guys like me would have to just look back at your life? And remember back when you were a kid, remember back when you were a teenager, remember back when you were an early adult, and you would just have to say, I don't know how I'm alive. Like, anybody else? Like, man, I, I don't, like, I, on, honest to God, I don't, I don't even know how I'm alive. I was kind of trying to practice this discipline of remembering back to God's deliverance in the past this week as I was preparing, and a couple things came to my mind, but there was one time when I was in college, and I was a student at Western Carolina, I was coming back here sometimes on the weekends to eat some of my mama's cooking, and I was driving an old ratty car, had some mechanical problems, but like most college students, I was broke as a joke, so I didn't fix it, and uh, man, I was going around one of these mountain curves and one of these windy mountain roads, uh, probably going way too fast and all of a sudden my engine cut out and my steering wheel locked yeah that was my reaction like like oh dang this is not good right now to guys to this day i'll try to to this day i do not know how i did not slide off that mountain to my certain death i don't i don't i don't know God, God delivered me somehow, some way. I got off to the side of the road, even though I was going way too fast. I had no, the steering wheel was locked. I had no way to control the direction. I have no idea how I didn't die. Rewind in my life just a few years prior to that, when I was in high school, me and one of my buddies um, had the bright idea of paddling out on a paddle boat to the middle of the lake in February when it was like negative 30 degrees, and the boat sunk in the middle of the lake. I had no life vest. I'm not a good swimmer had a sweatshirt on blue jeans boots right and i'm out there trying to swim i'm hypothermic i swam as hard and as long as i could and i'm telling you guys when the gas tank was empty 
And I started to go under the water for sure, thinking this is it. This is, this is when I'm gonna die. As I go underwater, as the water gets up to my nose, my feet hit the ground and I walk out of the lake. That's a true story. No lie. And I could go back and I could tell you hundreds of stories like that in my life. And I promise you, if you think hard enough, you also could come back with stories just like that. Why are we here, y'all? Because our God has delivered us. He is a good God. He is a deliverer. That's why we're here. Against all odds, in spite of our own foolish decisions, God has delivered us, not just from sin, death, and hell. Praise God for that. He's delivered us in a million different ways, big and small, from the moment we were born until this very moment in time. And so, because of that, when we face danger in this life, when fear begins to creep into our thoughts, when darkness begins to cloud our hope, Christian, we remember back to the ways God has delivered us in the past. And we allow his track record to inspire our hearts to worship even in the danger of today. And that, by the way, is the second step in the process that David gives us for facing danger. The first one, number one, was what? You remember? Remember. Remember back to God's faithfulness and his deliverance, not only in our past, but throughout his time in history of God's people. So we remember back, and that should inspire something in our lives, and that's the second part of this whole equation. That's praise. Well, why praise? Here, here, here's why. Praise, I don't know if you knew this or not, praise is the natural response to rescue. Do you know that? Praise is the natural response to rescue. Now, if you're a sports fan like I am, we, we know this well, right? We, we sing our team's fight songs at the stadiums, don't we? After our teams win, if we're lucky enough to win, we, we chant the songs of victory after our team wins. A few years ago, I, you guys know this, and, and you forgive me for it, and I appreciate your forgiveness. I'm a big Alabama Crimson Tide football fan, okay? And uh, the Lord's team, and uh, so I, I pull for the Lord's team. Back a few years ago, Alabama was in the national championship game uh, against the, the evil empire of the Georgia Bulldogs, all right, they're back in 2017. They're led by Kirby Smart, the traitor, and their demonic-looking bulldog. And uh, so Bama was up against the forces and the gates of hell. They were down by two touchdowns at halftime. They couldn't score. Our quarterback could not hit the broadside of a barn. It was terrible. I almost turned the game off at halftime because I thought there's no hope. And Alabama's head coach made a risky decision. He inserted a freshman quarterback from Hawaii who had never played before who's now the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa, and he led a heroic, for the ages, comeback, got it tied up, went into overtime, Georgia scores, and then he throws a bomb, beautiful ball in the corner of the end zone, walk-off touchdown, Bama wins. And I, it's like midnight, my kids are asleep, I'm screaming praises to King Jesus. I wake my kids up, they run downstairs, like what's wrong, who's dying? Nobody's dying, Bama just won, we've been delivered. My neighbors are texting me, what's going on, right? The players are on the field singing the fight song of the Crimson Tide, it's beautiful. Listen, praise is the natural response of deliverance. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a Satanist and a Georgia fan, it doesn't matter. God loves us all, right? This is the natural response. Christian, Buddhist, atheist, whatever it is. 
Now, I want, you to, I want you to watch King David as he practices this in his life as he remembers back to God's deliverance with thanksgiving. Look at verse six. He says this. Blessed be the name of the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. Listen, guys, I love that. He didn't just deliver us from the trap. He broke the trap so we wouldn't fall back into it. And we have escaped, David says. And as David just kind of thinks back on God delivering him in this season of danger, he just burst into worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's like, man, I can't hold it back any longer. God has delivered, and I have to praise the name of my deliverer. Now this, by the way, is the pattern of God's people throughout the Bible. I mean, we could start in Genesis. We could work our way all the way through Revelation, and we could point back to this example, this pattern again and again and again. I'll just give you one example a well-known one in the book of Exodus. You guys have probably heard that story, right? God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt. God raises up a man named Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh after some debate and says, let my people go. What What does the Pharaoh say? Not a chance, right? And he keeps coming back. It's like, man, let my people go. And all of a sudden, God starts sending all these pestilences. And, and finally, Pharaoh is so beaten down by God. He's like, okay, Moses, just take these people and get out of here. And as they leave towards their freedom, what does Pharaoh do? He changes his mind, raises up his army. He's like, I changed my mind. Let's go kill all these guys, right? And so God's people are traveling. They notice, I'm sure, the dust of the army coming after them. And finally, they get to the Red Sea. And they're like, uh-oh. That's a big body of water right there, and I can't swim. That's a big, ferocious army coming for us. I look forward, there's death. I look backwards, and there's death, and it seems like all hope is lost. And then you know the story, don't you? God shows up. God shows up, and he parts the the Red Sea, and he brings the water apart so that God's people can pass on dry ground. And as soon as they get past to safety and the army of Pharaoh gets on that pathway, he crashes the water down and, and kills the enemies of God's people. And do you know what the first thing they do after being rescued from danger when they get on the other side? You know what they do? Moses is like, gather around, we're about to sing. Like, boys and girls, let's, let's sing some songs. And they sang Can't Touch This by MC Hammer from dusk till dawn, right? Now, not really, but they probably should have sung that. But they did sing a song. And I just want to read you the, the first couple of, of lyrics from the song they sang. This is Exodus 15. The whole chapter is a song. I don't have time to read you the whole song. Let me just read part of it to you. It says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Man, that's a victory song, isn't it? This is the appropriate response to deliverance, is praise. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. This has been attributed to several different people. I don't care who said it first. I just like it. I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. One man or one woman with God is a majority. Isn't that good? One person with God is the majority. So friend, let's remember the works of God in the past. Let's allow his track record fuel our praise in the present. Our God rescues. Now I wonder sometimes, man, we come to service like this or worship gathering like this 
on Sunday morning, and I wonder if sometimes we, we can kind of worship in a lifeless way, maybe because we've failed to properly reflect on all God has done for us and all the many ways that he's delivered us. And look, man, I, I know we got a lot of white folks up in this church, God help us. Some of us even come out of Baptist backgrounds, which is like the double dose of no rhythm and stone-cold worship. But, I, man, I, I'm just telling you, sometimes we come up here and we start singing the glory and praises of our king. And, and, and for some of y'all, it looks like somebody just shot your dog and slapped your mama. So, I, again, man, I know a lot of y'all are, are white folks and you don't got any rhythm and, and, and all that kind of thing. But I, I just want to say this. Christian, you have permission to get excited about God. You have permission to get excited about God. He has delivered us. And I'm not saying you got to go full Pentecostal, but you can come in here with a smile on your face and worship the king of the universe. It's a good thing. It's an appropriate thing. We're commanded to do it. So David is saying, yes, let's remember the God who has rescued, but also let's respond in praise because that is the only appropriate response to being delivered. And then there's one final step in the process, and that is number three, to apply these truths to our lives in a real way. Now, listen, guys, here's why that's important. In my experience, there are far too many Christians that have fat heads and anemic lives. Let me explain what I mean by that, fat heads and anemic lives. Fat heads with biblical knowledge, but anemic lives because they never put any of that knowledge into practical application in their lives. Now look, guys, I, I, I'll just give you an example. I, I could read every book under the sun, listen to every podcast under the sun about how to be a good, godly husband and a dynamic, godly dad to my kids, and I could amass so much knowledge on the topic that I could give lectures to massive crowds and wow them with my knowledge. But listen, guys, if I never applied any of those truths to my own marriage and my own kids, what good would that be? Wouldn't that just make me a fraud as a man? And yet I think so many Christians, sadly, that seems to be the reality in which we live. We know a lot and we do little. We have a lot of knowledge and we put very little into practice. So as James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, said in the book of the New Testament, he wrote, we must not be hearers of the word only, but we must also be doers of the word so Christian, let us not speak of the greatness of our God and then not trust him when the heat gets turned up in our own lives. Let's not be spiritual hypocrites with fat heads and emaciated lives. David says it this way in the last verse of this psalm, verse eight, he says this. And again, he's, he's putting this into practice. Our help, David is saying, our help is in the name of the Lord. David's saying, I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna go into the well of my own strength. I'm not gonna look to culture. I'm not gonna look to the values of the world. My help, when the stuff hits the fan in my life, is in the God of this universe. Now, which God are you talking about? The one who made heaven and earth. The God of the Bible. The only one true God of this universe. That's who I'm going to when I need help, when I face dangers in my life. And what a great reminder for us today. When the danger comes... In your life, when the temptation to despair creeps in, we don't look within for strength, y'all. Despite what culture tells us, the lies, just look within, find the answers within. Find, that's, that's rubbish. 
You look within for answers, you're gonna drown in the Red Sea. You need a deliverer outside of yourself. I need a deliverer outside of myself. And so we don't look within for strength. We don't look to others for safety. We look up to God. We cry out with King David, our eyes are on you, God. Our hope is in you and you alone. We know you can deliver us. You've done it in the past. Would you do it again, Father? And that is the real application of Psalm 124. In 1582, there was a, a Scottish pastor by the name of John Dury who was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. When he was finally released, a couple hundred people from his church met him at the prison gate, and as they begin to walk down the street in Edinburgh, they begin to sing Psalm 124, the song that we just sang. And as they marched down the street in Edinburgh and sang a chant of victory, Psalm 124, uh, they tell us that about 2,000 people heard the song, came out of their homes and apartments, and joined them in marching through the streets singing Psalm 124 as God delivered this pastor from prison. One of the pastor's persecutor who witnessed this sight went on to say this. He said, I was more alarmed by that sight and that song than anything I have ever witnessed in Scotland. <laughs> Church, that, that, that is our story. We have been delivered. Our God is a great deliverer. Throughout time and history, God has proven faithful in times of danger and distress. Romans 8.31 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, this will be on the screens for you. Paul writes this, now we have this treasure, the gospel truth, in clay jars, our physical bodies that are breaking down, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because our God is a deliverer. And remember, Christian, Jesus faced the floodwaters of suffering before we ever did. He tasted the trap of death. He embodied Psalm 124 flawlessly and perfectly. He flung open the trap of death and destroyed it so that we could be forgiven of our sin and made whole and right with God and so that all who would call on his name and believe in him could find deliverance in this life and the life to come in eternity. And so let me just say, if you're here in the room, if you're watching online and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, first of all, so happy that you're here with us. But let me just ask you a question. What are you waiting on? Can't you see? You have a God who created you. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who calls you by name so that he can deliver you. And so if that's you, would you turn away from living life your way? Would you turn away? Would you repent from your sin and place your faith and your trust in Jesus who longs to deliver you today? And for those of you who are here and you're watching online, you're already in the family of faith, you're a Christian, listen, this is a great reminder that David gives us here when the floodwaters begin to rise in your life. When you can't see a way out, and some of you are there right now, I promise you. When you feel like the trap is about to snap on your back, in those moments, look closer. Gaze more deeply and see the hand of the God who delights to deliver his sons and his daughters. Let's pray and then we're gonna...